You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Growing up um, in a Christian home with a mom and dad who taught a Sunday school class and taught a kids class, our Saturday nights looked eerily similar every week after week after week. And what they looked like was my dad was working on his adult Bible fellowship class that he taught. He was working on that lesson and my mom was working on her lesson for the kindergarten and first and second grade. And so they would be working on their lesson and for my dad, every time that he would teach, he would have a joke to start the class. So part of his preparation for his weekly Sunday school class was dad was always looking for another joke to tell his class. By the way, my dad still does that today. So if you go to Topeka Baptist Church to his Sunday school class, guarantee you the Sunday school class is going to start with a joke, right? And they're going to be cheesy and they're going to be real bad, but it's my dad and that's what he's known for. My mom, on the other hand, you know, teaching kindergarten through second grade, jokes don't go over as well with that age group. So my mom was always planning a game or a craft right, that would go along with her lesson. And so here's what I thought, since today is family worship today and we have all the kids in the room to honor the heritage that I have, we're going to play a little game together, all right, <laughs> to start, start our time together. So I want you to get out a piece of paper or get out your phone, and I want you to put one through four. Nobody's going to have to do anything weird, okay, just know that you're going to stay in your seat. Nobody's going to get called out. But I want you to put on a piece of paper and kids, young at hearts, everybody get a piece of paper out, a phone out, put numbers one through four. What I'm going to do is show you a picture and I want you to tell me whether the picture is real or fake. All right, not out loud on the piece of paper on your phone, put real or fake. Then I'll come back through and tell you if they're real or fake. All right. All right. So everybody got that down. Here we go. Let's do this together. Here's the first picture. Is this picture real or fake? Now don't say it out loud. You don't want to give it away. Unfortunately, I don't have candy. That was, somebody yelled real. That's, that's a good kid. All right, here's the next one. Real or fake? <laughs> this is what you love about kids, right? You're just going to get what you're going to get. Real or fake? All right. Next picture. Real or fake? He thinks this one's fake too. And then the last picture. Real or fake? Pretty cool picture. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Everybody got it? Do I need to go back to any because we went too fast on any of that? All right, here we go. First picture. Do we think this picture is real or fake? Or go to the, yeah, this one. Do we think this one's real or fake? Real. 
real. I feel like real is sort of any fakers in here. A few of you think it's fake. All right, let's see. Is it real or fake? It is real. This is the Burj Al Arab Hotel in Dubai. And this is the helicopter pad that was turned into a tennis court in 2005. All right. And you can actually go out and watch a clip of a couple of tennis stars that you wouldn't know because they're from 2005 who played on that helipad there. So that is actually real. Next picture. Real or fake? I feel like fake sort of. Anybody think it's real? Now nobody's like, I ain't raising my hand. That's going to be embarrassed. Dan, thanks for being honest. You think it's real. This is actually fake. It's two pictures put together. It's beautiful. Venus is beautiful, but it doesn't have a frozen lake from Russia next to it. So, all right. So it's not, it is fake. The next picture, real or fake? Everybody fake. I hear a lot of fakes. Any reels? A few reels out here. What is it? It is real. This is the Sun Cruise Resort in South Korea. And it was built to look like a huge cruise ship had run aground. So they accomplished their goal in that. And that's pretty cool. All right, next one, last one. Real or fake? Ooh, I hear this is sort of split. I'm really surprised by that. Real or fake? What is it? It is fake. All right. It was a picture taken in Yellowstone National Park with the bear, and they just threw in the cyclists for fun. You know, just, it, it really adds to the picture. Like, you can feel the tension in the, in the guy's heart, right? Real or fake? Matthew chapter 12, in verses 38 through 50, Jesus is calling out who is real and who is fake when it comes to following him. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has been in this dialogue with the Pharisees. And he has been showing them over and over again who he is. If you'll remember from last week in the first part of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, I am the Messiah that you have been waiting for. I am the real Messiah. I'm not faking you. I'm not trying to trick you. I am the real Messiah that you have been waiting for. And so Jesus has over and over again shown them and told them that he is the Messiah. So he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. We saw that he is God's servant. We saw that he is the power of God. We've seen him heal in Matthew chapter 12, a, a withered man's hand. We have seen a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute be healed. And he was healing so many people. And his words had such power that the people, the crowd, was beginning to come to Jesus and say, is this the son of David? Is this the Messiah that we have been waiting for? The king that we have been waiting for is he real or is he fake and the crowd's beginning to think he's real but the pharisees are still looking at jesus and thinking this can't be real that this this is fake he's not really the messiah he's not the one that we have been waiting for in fact they're so enraged by what jesus is saying and jesus is doing that they're now planning on how to kill jesus 
How can they get rid of this guy because he's going to have more power than they have and so they have to figure out how to get rid of him. And at the end of Matthew chapter 12, where we're going to look at today, Matthew records for us one more encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees. So if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through verse 50. I've been struggling with a little bit of a cold towards the end of the week, so sorry if it sounds horrible, looks horrible, uh, it is what it is. So, <laughs> Rick's like, you sure you don't want to ask somebody else to speak? Because you sound bad. So, I'm sorry about that. If my nose runs, I'm sorry about that as well. Look at verse 38. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So, we've been talking to the Pharisees. Now, Jesus throws in these guys named the scribes. The scribes were the... Uh, the the experts if you, some of your translations may say this the experts of the law so they knew the old testament inside and out these scribes and pharisees come to jesus one more time and they say to jesus we wish to see a sign from you a sign was usually some type of miraculous token that would be fulfilled quickly to confirm of, to what he was saying. And the reality is the Jews were not asking for just an another miracle. They were trying to see that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. And so when they're asking for a sign, they're not asking for a sign because they really want to know the answer. They're asking for a sign because they're trying to prove that Jesus is not God, God. They are saying to Jesus, show us you are real and not fake. Show us that you are the Messiah. And what's interesting is they refer to Jesus as teacher. So it doesn't seem like even in this instance that it's combative. They, he's saying it with kindness and grace towards, he is, they are saying it with kindness and grace towards him. Teacher, give us a sign that you are the Messiah. And look at how Jesus answered them in verse 39. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus says to these religious leaders, you are a generation who has been unfaithful to God. He knew the attitude of their heart. And he says, I'm not going to give you a sign except I will remind you of two stories from the Bible that you know about. Why would Jesus not give them a sign? He would not give them a sign because God is not a God like a genie in a bottle that you get three wishes with and he'll do what, he tells you, what you tell him to do, right? And so he knows their heart and knows that they're not asking for a sign so that they will believe in him. They're asking for a sign so that they can discredit them. And so he says, you're an evil and adulterous generation. You're an unfaithful generation to me. And so rather than giving you a sign, I'm going to take you back to Scripture. Isn't it interesting that as we've watched Jesus dialogue with the Pharisees, that over and over again, Jesus has come back to the scriptures. Uh, he's God and he can do miracles as we're seeing him do. But over and over again, he's coming back to the word of God and he's saying, you have the answers right in front of you. 
The the Word of God has the answers for you. I'm going to remind you of two stories today to to let you know that that Jesus is God, that He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells of, of an interesting scenario that happens in heaven where the rich man and Lazarus both die. One's rich, Lazarus, one is rich, the rich man as he's referred to, Lazarus, poor, beggar, they both die. The rich man goes to hell and Lazarus goes to heaven. And there's this dialogue that happens with God and the rich man. And it says this in verse 27. And the rich man says, I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into the place of torment. So the rich man is like, please send Lazarus back to my brothers and warn them about hell. This is not a good place. Don't want to go there. Go warn them about them. And he says, uh, in verse 28, but I have five brothers so that they may warn them lest they come into the place of torment. Verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Who are Moses and the prophets? The word of God. He's saying they have scripture in front of them. And he said, no father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. If there is a sign that comes, then they're going to repent. The word of God is not enough. Send a sign and then they will repent. And here's how the Lord responds. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophet, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Say that. He said, if they don't understand the word of God, even when I rise from the dead, they're still not going to believe that's what Jesus is saying to this generation here of Pharisees and scribes you're missing it the sign is right in front of you I am here you have the word of God and you're missing what is right in front of you so Jesus then tells them two stories to let them know how they are missing what is right in front of them he he first tells them the story of Jonah He says, no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We look back and understand Jesus is speaking of his death, burial, and resurrection. And that Jonah, what he went through when he ran from God and was in the belly of the fish, was a picture of what Jesus was going to do for us but look at verse 41 the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold something greater than Jonah is here and so Jesus gives us a picture here of the Ninevites standing and this would have infuriated them because these were Gentiles and so these Gentiles at the judgment of Christ will stand in judgment of these Pharisees because they had a sign that came to them and they rejected the sign whereas the Ninevites had a sign who was Jonah came to them and they repented and so the Ninevites will stand in judgment over the Pharisees because the Ninevites saw the sign and responded to it and repented the Pharisees and the scribes see the sign, but they keep asking for more because of their heart of unbelief. 
And so the Ninevites will stand and judge this religious crowd because someone greater than Jonah the prophet is standing before them and they can't see that. Verse 42, the second story that Jesus gives, he says the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. So the Ninevites are going to stand in judgment over the scribes and the Pharisees in this generation. Now he says a, the queen of the south is going to stand in judgment over them and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So Gentile, right? Incredible that he would use that. Now in this culture to use a Gentile and a woman to say they're going to stand in judgment over you. Again, more and more fuel on their fire of hating Jesus. So he goes, you remember the story from 1 Kings chapter 10 when this queen of Sheba heard about the wisdom of Solomon. And she was in Ethiopia and she went 1,500 miles from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to see Solomon and see the wisdom that Solomon had. And if you go to 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 5, it says at the end, there was no more breath in her. So basically she came to all the end of her questions. And here's after she had asked Solomon all these questions, heard about his wisdom. In verse 6 it says, and she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom. She traveled all the way from Ethiopia to hear of the wisdom of Solomon. And when she got there, she ran out of breath to talk and she comes to the conclusion, yeah, he is the wisest man who has ever lived. She sought after wisdom. And like the Ninevites, she accepted the evidence that she was confronted with. When she heard of the wisdom of Solomon, she didn't reject it and say, no, it's not true. No, she repented and she believed in what she had heard about Solomon. This generation stood condemned because they were in the presence of one greater than Jonah and one greater than Solomon and they were not repenting and believing. You'll remember last week, Jesus used this same term something greater than is here if you'll remember back in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 6 Jesus said something greater than the temple is here this week he says something greater than Jonah is here then he says something greater than Solomon is here what Jesus is doing is he's setting himself up to be the fulfillment of all the prophecies that they have heard he is the greater priest when he says I, something greater than the temple is here. He is the greater prophet when he says something greater than Jonah is here. He is the greater king when he says something greater than Solomon is here. Prophet, priest, and king. Those were huge in the Jewish mind and in their faith were those three things. And Jesus is saying, hello, something greater than the priest is here. Something greater than the prophet is here. Something greater than the king is here. I am the fulfillment. I am the real Messiah. And yet they continued to believe that he was fake. They continued to seek for a sign when the sign was right in front of them. One of the most difficult parts of being a parent is teaching your kids to drive. 
My wife, in fact, refuses to teach our kids to drive because it just doesn't go well, right? They don't make it out of the neighborhood and it's just, it, they come back, it's, it takes weeks to recover from what happens in the car uh, when they go out. So not that I'm much better, but I just take the burden of responsibility of teaching our kids to drive. And the hardest part of teaching our kids to drive is missing the signs that is right in front of them. Because for me and for you that have driven for a while, you sort of know where stop signs are at, right? When you're driving out of a neighborhood, you sort of know where the stop signs are at. Well, when a new driver is beginning to learn to drive, they haven't paid attention, obviously, when you've been driving. And so as they're beginning to drive, there's so much going on that oftentimes they miss specifically stop signs that are right in front of them, right? Why? Because there's so much else going on, they're missing what is obvious. And so you have to, as a parent, help remind them that those signs are there. The same thing is happening to the Pharisees. They're saying, if there would just be one more sign, if it would be more evident, if the sign could be bigger, right? Because it's always, it's never the person driving the car's fault. It's always the sign's fault, right? If it could just be bigger, then I would have seen the sign. And this was what the Pharisees are doing. They're saying, Jesus, if you'll just make the sign bigger so that we can see that you really are the Messiah, then we'll believe in, in you. Jesus goes on and illustrates for the, disciples, or for the Pharisees what is happening in their heart in verses 43 through verse 45. He says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of the person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty and swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also will it be for this evil generation. Now it's like, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? All right, now we gotta stay in context as we're moving through sections of Scripture. So Jesus has been talking to the scribes and Pharisees, and he's using this story to illustrate what is going on in their heart and life. And the idea is that the gospel is being presented to them, and they are rejecting the gospel. And because they are rejecting the gospel, they are missing Jesus coming into their heart and life and taking care of what has been left empty in their following the rules. So they have cleaned, he uses the word clean themselves up, right? The house has been swept. They've gotten the evil out of their life. They followed all of the rules, but in following all of the rules, they did not follow it up with belief in Jesus. And so when that evil spirit comes back, it brings some buddies with him and the end is worse than the beginning. What he's taking us back to is what we saw last week in the unforgivable sin and the unpardonable sin. Like it's not going to end well for the person that continues to reject Jesus over and over and over and over again when the signs are right in front of them. 
When something greater than the temple is here. When something greater than Jonah is here. When something greater than Solomon is here. And you keep missing the sign. Even though your life outwardly looks cleaned up. Even though everything is swept up. You have not replaced that with Jesus Christ. And in doing so, you've left yourself open to more evil things coming back in your heart and life. Jesus is giving us insight into why many of you keep going back to those addictions in your life that you struggle with. Is because here's the deal. You may not drink alcohol anymore, but if you do not replace that with Christ and your affections for Christ, you're just going to take that and you're going to turn it into something else. You have to... Paul would say it this way. Put off the old man. Visions 4. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on Christ. What is he saying? When you've cleaned out, right, as the spirit cleans out the li- your life, put Christ in there. Fill your life with Christ. Because no, you may not be addicted to alcohol anymore, but now you're addicted to working out. Now you're addicted to healthy eating. Right? I see this in people's life. You replace it with something other than Christ. And this is what he's saying to you guys. Listen, you're, you're cleaning out your life. You're following the rules, but you haven't replaced it with belief in me. You haven't replaced it with following me. And if you choose to continue to do that, it's not going to end well for you. Paul would put it this way in Romans chapter 1. He ends verse 1, verse 32 with, though they know God's righteous decree, And those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So basically they're choosing to reject God even though they know God. And listen to what Paul says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches, listen to this, on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your heart, hard and impotent heart you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed that is Matthew chapter 12 verses 43 through 45 and so Paul says don't allow the kindness of God to fall on deaf ears Don't allow the kindness of God to fall on an unbelieving heart. Believe, repent, and return. Be like the Ninevites and repent. See the sign and repent. Be like the queen of Sheba who came seeking the wisdom of Solomon and found it. And she used up all of her words. And when she used up all of her words, she said, you're right. You are the wisest. May we come to Jesus with his gracious and kind heart towards us and may we repent and believe in him then jesus finishes or or matthew finishes this section with 
this inner encounter with Jesus and his family. It says, For while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. So you get the picture. Jesus is either in the temple or in a house and people are gathered around him and there's so many people around him, his actual family can't get to him. So they get word to Jesus that they want to talk to him in verse 48. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my brother and who, are my, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is showing us what it means to be a part of the family of God. And he's showing us a contrast between what is real and what is fake. Following rules, having all these signs, those are things that if that's what you're always looking for, you're going to miss out. But those that are a part of the family of God are those who do the will of the Father. What is to do the will of the Father? It is to follow Jesus. The will of the Father is for you to repent and believe in Jesus. In John chapter 1, in verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is saying, I'm starting a new family. And this family is the family of God. And I'm inviting you. It's an invitation to all to come and know Jesus. To come and follow Jesus. And the religious people of the day are missing that. And Jesus is inviting them to come and follow him. Here's how Michael Green would summarize this section of scripture he says it is possible to be religious like the pharisees and still not be a part of the kingdom of god it is possible to be physically related to the messiah himself and still not be a part of the kingdom of god religious practices and religious pedigree are utterly inadequate to bring anybody into the kingdom there needs to be an acknowledgement of who jesus is and a determined decision to follow him. The Pharisees and Jesus' family had to decide, is Jesus real or fake? Is he the promised Messiah or is he just a good man? We have to come to the same decision today. Are we going to believe that Jesus is real or fake? Are we going to look at the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and believe that it is real or fake this is the dividing line in the sand for all of us in the room today this is what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 12 with the Pharisees he's saying you've got to decide is Jesus real Is this one who's standing in front of you that said something greater than the temple is here, something greater than Jonah is here, something greater than Solomon is here? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he is real or fake and the same decision is presented to you today? Do you believe that Jesus is real or fake? You have a chance to respond to this invitation to be a part of the family of God. And you can be like the scribes and Pharisees. And you can reject Jesus. And you can say, no, I'm going to wait for another sign. 
I'm going to sort of throw out this fleece on and on with Jesus and continue to try to throw out fleeces to try to get yourself to believe in him. You can choose to be like the scribes and Pharisees or you can choose to be like the Ninevites and the queen of Sheba. And you can repent and turn to the Lord. You can hear the word of the Lord today and respond to it. You can be like the queen of Sheba who searched for the word and she found the word and she responded to the word. The report is true. Today, you can respond and know that the report is true. Jesus is real. He has come to live the life that you couldn't live and die the death that you deserve to die and was buried. And three days later, he did what none of us could ever do because we're not God. Three days later, he walked out of the grave. He is real. Yes. And today, you can put your faith and trust in him. Today, he is inviting you to be a part of the family of God. And so today, I would invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What is your decision? What will you choose to believe? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these strong words that you had for the Pharisees and the scribes. But I love that you would choose to inspire Matthew to end this, these strong words with an invitation that you would show that Jesus' loyalty was first to the family of God and that he was inviting us, all of us, Jew and Gentile alike, to a personal relationship with him. And my prayer is if there's anyone in this room today that is working through in their heart, is Jesus real or is he fake? Is all this Bible stuff true or is it false? I pray today, Lord, that they would make the decision to respond to your grace and your kindness and to turn from themselves and to turn to you and believe that it is real. And for those of us who believe it's real, may it affect our lives. May we live different because we believe that you are who you said you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.